This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm your host, Dakota Arsenault. On today's show, we are uh, doing our second episode into the Best Picture candidates for this year's Oscars. I have been doing this series since the first season of ContraZoom way back in 2016. Each episode, we look at three to four of the nominees and the chances they have to win each of their nominations. It's pretty simple. We'll label every nomination for a movie as a frontrunner, dark horse, long shot, or just happy to be there. On the first show of this series two weeks ago, we had Paulo Bautista, host of the Oscars Death Race podcast, come on to discuss the odds that Dune, King Richard, and Nightmare Alley had. Joining me on the second episode to discuss Belfast, West Side Story, Coda, and Licorice Pizza is Jeff Bulmer, one half of the Classic Movies live show. Just last month, we did a special crossover extravaganza where Jeff and Pierre were guests on episode 181, A24 Retrospective on Life After Beth, and then Rachel and I completed the discussion by being on your show to talk about The Voices for your Kicking It with Kendrick series, both movies that feature Anna Kendrick. Jeff, thanks for coming back. How are you? I'm doing great. And once again, thank you guys for being on our show the, that time and the time before, which was, you know, back for our Christmas episode. But thank you so much. That was a, that was a lot of fun. And it's also funny keeping up with your keeping up with Kendrick. I could have worded that a little bit better um, series and like seeing how how often you, you reference Happy Christmas. <laughs> I come back to it so many times. I think I might actually like that movie. I need to go back and watch it again. <laughs> It's a very interesting one. I was uh, I was enjoying when you had Paulo on and he was sort of explaining all the machinations of how uh, box office totals work and all that sort of stuff. And mm-hmm. you were comparing that movie with the Mark Pease experiment, uh, experience, sorry, uh, because both were basically showed in no theaters for two very different reasons and how mm-hmm. they earned their money. Yeah. That was, those both had such weird release schedules for, as you said, different reasons. The Mark Peace experience was very likely an attempt by Ben Stiller to just completely bury something he wasn't interested in having on his record. Although I'm unable to like completely verify that, but that's everything we look at that seems to be the case, except it's like third and fourth hand information. So who knows? Yeah, I I had never heard of that movie before until your episode came out. So I I quickly IMDb'd it and looked at the trivia. And the trivia says that, but there's no real, like, it's not like IMDb has annotation of where they get their sources from. It was probably from, like, some interview that some producer gave in some small town newspaper or some nonsense like that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw that piece of information somewhere else as well, but I don't know where. So, like... I have no idea if that's actually true, but it definitely is one of those things that feels true. Yeah, it was a it was a fascinating episode to listen to, and I really enjoyed uh, the one that you did do with uh, Paulo to talk about uh, Up in the Air. Right, that's that's the one he was on for. No, he was on for the accountant. Um, oh, right, the accountant, right? Because he's a numbers guy. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a really really cool episode. I learned a lot that episode. He's uh, by the way, like. If you are listening to this and you haven't listened to Paolo's Box Office Watch podcast, like he's so knowledgeable about that stuff and like he's so good at communicating and teaching it. It's really cool. I definitely recommend that to anyone who's listening to this. Just a shout out, you know, another podcast for with someone who's not on this one right now. <laughs> I, I do use his shows 
uh, almost as a research tool because I know how thoroughly he researches everything he talks about. So I, I basically use him as a secondhand source where it's like, oh, if I've heard Paulo mention something, I know what to look up and be able to find uh, research for myself because he, he's that good. Mm-hmm. But we're here to talk about this year's Oscars. And uh, so I'm sort of curious. I, I talked about in the first episode. I want to know how your own personal Oscar death race is going. And once again, as people uh, should know by now, death racing is literally watching every single nominated movie. That is best picture. That is best actor. That is best animated short film. All that sort of stuff. So I'd love to know where you're at in the race so far, if you happen to have those numbers. I finished it like two weeks ago. Uh <laughs> Uh, I finished it with a movie called On My Mind, which is uh, one of the live action shorts. And it's, I don't know, pretty run of the mill, nothing special. It's weird. <laughs> there was a lot of like very good live action shorts that were um, shortlisted this year. And I saw quite a few before the actual um, nominations came out. On My Mind I wouldn't say it's it's like really bad, but it's not one of the better ones. So it's kind of a shame to see that up there instead of something like Sensor of Dreams, which was really cool. But anyway, that was that was uh, that was the last thing that I watched for the Death Race, and that was that was uh, February fourteenth, so Valentine's Day. Very nice. I was wondering because I'm I'm I, I know I think you use it the OscarsDeathRace.com website. And if you're Jeff on that, um, it says that you finished it on February 13th. But I don't know. Maybe that's not you then. No, that's definitely me. Maybe okay. maybe, maybe my uh, maybe I logged it on Letterboxd wrong. I probably logged it after midnight. <laughs> and also, I don't know. Yeah, this website might have time zone differences or things like that. So maybe it changes based on that. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, you were the 18th person on this website to finish it. Uh, right now, I am uh, in 161st place uh, out of a whole lot of people, over 650 people. Uh, but yeah, I so far have seen 38 of the 53 nominated films and uh, five of the 15 shorts. So I um, I have some some ways to go. I think I only have five more features to go, though. Nice. Yeah, the shorts are pretty easy to knock out in an afternoon once you get around to those being the only thing left. Yeah, I did all the animated shorts, I think, over over two evenings where I watched two, three of them on one day and then two of them on another day or something like that. And I'll probably mm-hmm. do that with the live actions and the documentaries as well. Uh, it's it's just making time for the, the features that are the, the tricky part. For sure. And there's at least one this year that's three hours long, so... It's quite a but commitment. But that's Drive My Car, and it's fantastic, and everyone should definitely watch it. <laughs> oh, thank God you've seen it. Yeah, I've seen it three yes. times, and I'm thinking about maybe watching it one more time before we talk about it on our show. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, I've been... Uh, I, Rachel has been putting that one off. She only has, I think, two or three Best Picture nominees left, and she's been holding off on that one. I keep telling her that she needs to watch it. Uh, and she's like, but it's, it's long, but I don't mind long movies. I'm like, just go for it. It's a vibe movie. You're, you'll love it. It's It's great. Yeah, I uh, I mean, I've, I've seen it three times. I loved it. That was my number one of last year, if you don't count uh, official competition, which um, I kind of would, except that I think that one officially releases in 2022, so it's got, like, weird wiggle room. I'm going to let you and uh, everyone that's listening into a little secret. We haven't done our top 10 of the year list. Uh, that comes after the Oscars. 
official competition is going to make the cut for me. Nice. It is a amazing movie. It's a, it's a Spanish film that stars such a, a stacked Spanish cast because you've got uh, Penelope Cruz, Antonio Banderas, and Oscar Martinez, and the three mm-hmm. of them together are just so damn funny. Yeah, they're all, like, every single one of them is hilarious in a different way that, like, shouldn't work together, but they all do. Yeah. I, 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 I'm constantly blown away, like... Antonio Banderas and Penelope Cruz have this really weird reputation in English language cinema that when you see them in their natural Spanish language films, they're just some of the best actors I've ever seen. You know, Pen- mm-hmm. Penelope Cruz this year with Parallel Mothers, I think a lot of people are going to open their eyes to just how phenomenal of an actress she is. But she is so good in Spanish language films. And I think, I, I don't even know what it is. I think it's just be- being given to play these opportunities where both of them, they're just. They're so attractive, and I think they sort of get typecast as, oh, hey, you're the attractive Spanish person. Yeah, I feel like like even if – so I've seen a couple of English movies even recently with Antonio Banderas in them. Uh, I think he plays the exact same role in them. I saw him in Uncharted, and I think he was in Red Notice. But, like, he plays the villainous – the villainous uh, – excuse me, the villainous Spanish man. And it's like <laughs> – that's not, there's not much depth to that. But then you see him in something like Pain and Glory or in Official Competition. And like, he's doing, those are just such phenomenal perform- performances where he's getting so much to do. I think um, in Official Competition, it's hard, I, I don't want to talk too much about this part of the movie because it would be a huge spoiler. But there's uh, him and Oscar Martinez basically get into a prank war throughout the whole movie. <laughs> and there's one, there's one, uh, there's one prank that on Antonio Banderas pulls on everyone else in the, um, in the movie. And it goes on for like probably 10 or 15 minutes. And the whole punchline of it is just basically him standing up and going, and that's acting. And it's like the most hilarious <laughs> thing in that whole movie. Yes, it has to do with his health issues for for anyone who may have seen that one and wants to know what you're talking yeah. about. It, it is a phenomenal scene because you completely buy into what he is selling. And then when the punchline happens, oh, it is a very satisfying punchline. There, there's quite a few. I, I'm This conversation is already completely derailed. I'm so happy <laughs> to talk about this movie that someone else has seen it uh, and loves it because I, I know a few other people have seen it and we're sort of iffy on it. But yeah, this movie is basically a, a long series of very elaborate setups with a joke at the end of like, you either think it's the funniest thing in the world, or you're like, what did I just waste the last five minutes watching this? Like there's a boulder, there is the stuff with all the microphones, like all that sort of stuff is just so elaborate for like this ridiculous punchline. And I I was crying laughing the whole time. <laughs> all right, so no more official competition talk. <laughs> We'll get back on subject now. We're uh, you have already done shows of eight of the best picture nominees, if my math is correct, including Belfast Coda and Licorice Pizza. Am, am I am I correct in these numbers? Yes, uh, actually, um, I think this will still be true when this episode comes out. Uh, our next episode is our next episode is going to be on Drive My Car. But we just recorded yesterday our episode on West Side Story. So we have actually talked about all of these that we're going to talk about today on our show, just that the West Side Story episode hasn't come out yet. Fantastic. So that actually is really good because this show is not about reviewing these movies 
for the most part, I think our opinions, we might reveal some of them, but it's not really our thoughts on it. It's more about how we think these movies are going to do at the Oscars. If people do want to hear your actual thoughts, all of these are going to be there either in the next few weeks or they can go through your catalog and listen mm-hmm. to your reviews of these movies and Pierre as well, who is not here today. Yeah, may he rest in peace. Yes, our dearly departed Pierre. Well, I was just going to say because he's, you know, it's it's a busy weekend and like I always want to make sure he's getting enough sleep. But yeah. Oh, yes, it. yes. Rest in peace. Yes, of course. Get a good sleep in, of course. <laughs> Felt like I was coming down to joy What did I see, what did I hear When I was coming down All right, uh, let's start things off. We're going to talk about Belfast first. This movie... uh, is one of the top contenders. It's got seven nominations, including Best Picture, Best Director for Kenneth Branagh, Best Best Supporting Actor for Kieran Hins, Best Supporting Actress for Judy Dench, Best Original Screenplay, Best Original Song for Down to Joy, and Best Sound. So let's start up at the top here, Best Picture. This is a very interesting one because when the Oscar race first started to take shape during the festival season, this was the absolute front runner. It looked like as soon as it premiered, I don't know if it premiered at TIFF or somewhere else, but it was, this is the film to beat. And then slowly there's been other movies that have come out since then that have been like, oh, uh, the the power rankings have changed a bit. You know, whether it's West Side Story, whether it's Power of the Dog, whether it's Coda, depending on which award show you're looking at. But Belfast started at the top and it's still sort of there. I, I think this is, Power of the Dog, I think is the absolute front runner. But if anyone is to dethrone it at this point, I think it might be Belfast still, even though it's lost a bit of momentum. So I'm still calling this a front runner because I think it's sort of a two horse race between Power of the Dog and Belfast. What are your thoughts on the best picture odds for this movie? Um, I would pretty much agree with that. I wrote down Dark Horse here, but that was before I read the little note that says Dark Horse for best picture is four to five. I would put this in the top three for sure of uh, best picture. Because I think I think Belfast is likely to be the the best picture ballot for those who don't know is a ranked ballot, which I'm still trying to fully understand, but it <laughs> means that like um the the movie that wins isn't necessarily the movie that got the uh the highest number of like rank one votes yes. Uh, and I think Belfast is likely to be a lot of people's favorite movies. I think the people who, um, obviously there's a lot of people who really didn't like this movie, but I think that um, the people who did like this movie tended to really like this movie. So I think that this is one where um, this is likely to get a lot of first uh, first place votes, but it's also likely to be people's like third or fourth pick. I think mm-hmm. that, um, I think that like, this is a movie where you do have those extremes, but I feel like everyone who's not ecstatic about this movie, a lot of them still seems to, you know, sort of like it. Like generally this is a movie that has gotten more positive reception than, you know, extreme either way, I would say. So I think that this is, uh, I think it's, 
I think Power of the Dog, like you said, is the one to beat. But if Power of the Dog doesn't get it, Belfast definitely could. Yes. And, you know, speaking of the sort of ranked ballot thing and how that works out, and for anyone that doesn't know, everyone puts their number one choice. If the movie doesn't get 50% of the vote plus one, uh, it eliminates the lowest one and then it goes to their number two and then so forth. And it continues tabulating each time to figure out until we get 50% plus one. Now I could sort of see stuff like power the dog and drive my car. I'm sure those voters are probably uh, overlapping quite a bit. Whereas on the flip side, I don't think Belfast and Power of the Dog have a ton of overlap because they're they're very different. You're you're looking at Belfast as being a crowd pleasing type of movie, uh, one that's maybe more appropriate for the boomer crowd because it, it reflects their uh, childhood and things like that. So you maybe look at something like West Side Story or even Coda, also the crowd pleasing type of movies, where you could see all of them being in the same sort of corner, and then Power of the Dog and Drive My Car and stuff like that on the other side, and maybe Licorice Pizza as well because they're more slow burning, introspective movies. Would you would you sort of agree with that assessment? Well, and notably Power of the Dog, Drive My Car, and Licorice Pizza all did phenomenally with critics. Not that the other Mm. ones didn't. I don't think, I think there might be one movie in this entire Best Picture crop that's like, that got more negative reviews than anything else. But like, um, those three are big with critics, maybe not as big with audiences. And then you've got Belfast, Coda, West Side Story, which are big with both. But like... None of them, um, none of them have quite, not necessarily as warm of a critical reception, but the same kind of critical reception that like Power of the Dog and Drive My Car did. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I agree. So moving on to Best Director for Kenneth Branagh. This really looks like it's Jane Campion's award to lose. Like we're talking about how it's probably a a two horse race between power of the dog and Belfast with maybe West side story up in there as well, which we're going to talk about later. Uh, That, that really seems to be what's happening for best picture. I think for best, best director, it really is going to be Jane Campion. And so Kenneth Branagh to me is second, but it's like first 20 feet, then Kenneth Branagh, then like 50 feet and everyone else. So I'm putting Branagh as a, as a dark horse for this. I, the only way I could see him winning is if Power of the Dog just absolutely has no real support across the board. And and even then, I still think Campion's gonna win Best Director. Um, yeah, so I think I would put I would put Kenneth Branagh at number three, personally, but I think that with um directing, uh to me in this in this crop of directors, it seems like Jane Campion and Ryusuke Hamaguchi are the only two that are on there where when I hear about them being in the director race, really all of the focus is on how well they directed their movies. So like, uh, it's not that, it's not that Kenneth Branagh, um, Steven Spielberg and Paul Thomas Anderson, like didn't direct their movies well, but anytime I hear about them, I hear their names and that's it. It's like Steven Spielberg is there because he's Steven Spielberg. Of course. Did he also direct? Well, I guess it doesn't really matter. We haven't heard much about that. It's just that he's there because he's Steven Spielberg. So like I put Kenneth Branagh, Steven Spielberg and Paul Thomas Anderson all in this category as they're there for their names. And like, based on that, I think Kenneth Branagh is behind Steven Spielberg because Steven Spielberg is a bigger name. Honestly, mm. I think like I, I would definitely agree with you that this is Jane Campion's category to lose. Um, 
And I think that that big gap after that is because in my opinion, only Jane can, or at least not in my opinion, from what I have personally seen, Jane Campion and Ryusuke Hamaguchi are the only people that have a campaign behind them based on their actual ability as a director. Yeah, I've been I've been very impressed with the campaign for Drive My Car so far. It was it was such a quiet opening where you just like lots of people sort of murmuring like this is a really good movie. You need to check it out. And I I've been seeing so much more on the campaigning side for this movie than I expected to. I fully expected that movie to just be like, hey, congratulations, Japanese film, you did it. But uh, but I've been really impressed with, with how Hamaguchi's been getting out there. He's been doing lots of work and how much praise this has been getting. And like the the talk is still continuing. So I, I yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if that is maybe the case too. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to do a very quick tangent right now so that I never have to again because do I it. could talk about Drive My Car for a long time. But... Um, <laughs> I think uh, I think that um, Drive My Car, it's only up for four awards, and I think it has a much better shot at every single one of those awards than anyone is giving it credit for. I honestly don't know how to predict that movie. Like, I don't know which ones it could actually win. Um, it's But, like, I... I could put it in like prediction rankings and I wouldn't trust my own rankings on that because Drive My Car has really, it's really surprised me in its reception uh, literally every step of the way. It's its a movie that somehow, that seems to have made it to the Oscars on like rave critic reception alone. And um, it's not that that can't happen, but it's pretty rare that some that a movie like drive my car makes it that far in that way. Uh, and the campaign on it has been incredible. So like, I really think that uh, I'm excited to hear your episode on it when you do talk about uh, its chances, because I think it has a much better chance than, I mean, honestly, I'm I'm going to be listening to what people say its chances are because whatever I hear people say are it's, are the chance are drive my car's chances for any of its awards? I think its chances are actually likely better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a tricky one to predict. So I'm this race is ever evolving. So yeah, the next episode we'll uh, be discussing that film. But let's move on to best supporting actor, where we've got Kieran Hind. It's sort of interesting. A lot of the prognosticators were expecting both Hinds and Jamie Dornan to get in for this. And in the end, only Hinds got in. And for a while, also looked like to be one of the front runners. And then as this movie's been out for longer, it sort of seems to come down to a bit of a two-horse race. Uh, we're going to talk about him later, but Troy Kotzer from CODA, and then also Cody Smith-McPhee from The Power of the Dog, which we'll be talking about in next episode. And so it looked like for a while that this was maybe a front runner, but I would now probably call this a long shot where it really sort of seems to be a bit of a two-horse race between those two actors, and, and Hind is sort of there as a bit of an afterthought, even though I really adored this performance from him. Uh, I'm looking, I'm just refreshing my memory on who all the, who all the people in this category are. Uh, honestly, uh, I would put, uh, Hins as, um, just happy to be there, except that there's two people behind him that I think are even more just happy to be there. (laughs) So I, I think he's a long shot here. I think, um, I think Belfast kind of messed up in its campaign when it comes to the acting roles 
Uh, we'll talk about the other acting nomination it got in just a minute. But early on, I know a lot of the conversation was centering around Jamie Dornan and Catriona Balfe. Uh, and neither one managed to get in. Instead, we got the other two supporting actors <laughs> who were also good. I really liked Ciaran Hins in this in this movie. Um, but I don't think there was much of a campaign from him for the life of Belfast's entire campaign. Cause this is a campaign that started all the way back in September. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I don't know what Hins and Dench's campaigns have looked like right now. Cause I haven't heard too much about them, but like, that's a problem in itself. Right. I haven't heard too much about either of them. So I think that, uh, I think the campaign may have failed both of those actors here. And that's why I would say, well, I mean, that and the fact that Troy Kotzer and Cody Smith-McPhee are probably just stronger candidates here anyway. I, I don't think Sierra and Hins is going to get this one. Yeah, it's very interesting. I, I agree. And we're sort of combining both Hins and Dench right now at the same time. Jen, Dench already has her Oscar. I don't think she really gives a shit at all just like hey i'm just gonna go there and get the free boo sort of thing um Mm -hmm. she like judy dench has literally nothing to prove and i i think she's she's also the oldest actor ever nominated so i don't think she probably has the energy to campaign much like how last year it seemed like anthony hopkins was completely vacant from the oscar trail and yet somehow he managed to win best actor which i was very happy about but Mm -hmm. it was one of those things where just like you know who i am you know my reputation you either like me or you don't i'm not going to try to convince you to vote for me and i think Mm -hmm. kieran hind also a very veteran actor i've been a fan of his work for quite a long time he's mostly done a lot of tv over in north america Mm -hmm. he does pop up in movies from time to time usually in a very small supporting role i think of uh, his excellent work in like tinker taylor soldier spy stuff like that fantastic little like character actor where he pops up in a few scenes he does his work and you go that's a fantastic actor and you're like who is that guy i don't know his name most probably most people probably look at his name and they're like how do you even say his name it's pronounced kieran although it looks like sirin but because he's northern irish i believe he's it's pronounced kieran mm-hmm. uh but yeah he, he's just someone i've always admired and i'd be obviously over the moon if he ended up winning it was one of my favorite performances of the year but yeah i don't think he has a chance in hell but we sort of combined Judy Dench and Karen Hins there. She was supported for Best Supporting Actress. I'd love to know your thoughts on that, too. I I think, like, I think I pretty much said it. Uh, I think she's just happy to be there. She hasn't been campaigning at all that I've seen. The campaign hasn't focused on her at all. And realistically, like, I don't... I, I think that she's... Gold Derby has her at five. I would also put her probably as the least likely to get the award here i don't know about the weakest nominee necessarily i think she was fine in this but like i don't know she's she's a bit of a surprise but she's a surprise in the way that like jk simmons is in best supporting actor no one expected Mm -hmm. him because why would you yeah yeah, the, 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 both of those people are probably people who got in based on their reputations and the fact that they probably have a sizable portion of the acting branch who are uh, big fans of their work. But yeah, I mm-hmm. look at this, the, the supporting actress lineup, and you've got Jesse Buckley for The Lost Daughter, Ariana DeBose for West Side Story, Kirsten Dunst for Power of the Dog, and Angie Ellis for King Richard. And I've heard storylines about how the other four have a path to win. 
Judy Dench is the only one that's not even talked about. You know, you, you listen to Ariane DeBose, who we're going to talk about later, and and what her path looks like. Kirsten Dunst could get swept up, swept up in the Power of the Dog stuff. Anjanou Ellis, I know her performance sort of overshadows Will Smith and the fact that she's actually doing really solid acting. And then you've also got Jesse Buckley, who a lot of people have been really high on her for a few years and are like, finally, Jesse Buckley has made it into the mainstream. And I could see her also getting some votes. But yeah, Judy Dench is the only one where I think there'll probably be a few people who are like, hey, big Judy Dench fan, I'm voting for her. And then that's about it. Like, there, there's no path for her to win in this category. Yeah. All right, so now let's move over to Best Original Screenplay, which was also written by Kenneth Branagh because this is a story about his youth growing up in Belfast, Northern Ireland, where the young character in this is basically a surrogate for him. I liken the screenplay categories. One of them is most likely going to go to the eventual Best Picture winner, and the other one I sort of look at as a consolation prize. So it's the, hey, we're not giving you the Best Picture, but here's a screenplay award, and also usually is conveniently written by the director as well. Uh, So I I look at it almost as like a runner-up Oscar, you know, I famously call it like the Pulp Fiction Award, where Pulp Fiction, there's no way in hell they were going to name that Best Picture, but they're going to give Tarantino an Oscar, which they did. Mm-hmm. And I actually think because of that, I'm predicting Kenneth Branagh to win in this category. I'm not going to spoil what my thoughts are for Licorice Pizza yet, but I think because Belfast isn't going to win Best Picture, it is probably going to win Best Original Screenplay. Where are your thoughts? Uh, well, most of my thoughts in this category pertain to licorice pizza, so I won't talk (laughs) about it too, too much, but, um, I would call this a dark horse. I think it can win. I think it's, I mean, I think it's like a pretty strong contender in this category. Uh, I don't think it's a stronger contender than licorice pizza, but we'll get to that one. Yes, I yeah, I, I feel like these this category is so intrinsically linked with that one, so it's sort of hard to say, and I, and I don't want to spoil everything and just end up repeating ourselves anyways. But yeah, um, it's going to be interesting. Now, the category I am most excited to hear your thoughts on, Best Original Song, Down to Joy, which is written and performed by Van Morrison. I'm not even going to say anything, Pierre. Um, Je- sorry, Jeff. Wow, I just called you Pierre. I can't believe I did that. Jeff... I need you to take the lead on this category. I honestly, I mean, like I wrote down in my notes, here's, here's verbatim from my notes. I have gold derby for personally, no idea. I don't This is a category I don't even understand. So I have no idea how this one is even done. And that is exactly true here. Uh, I like this category a little better than last year because they actually picked mostly songs that are in the movie. Um, but still like, I don't know what a best original song award means in, in the Oscars. Like was, was Van Morrison the best song in a movie? I don't know. He's just a people. He's just a person that people know. And like, Mm -hmm. what makes, what makes his song good? Does it have anything to do with the movie? I mean, I think it's a nice tone setter and it is actually in the movie. So like in that respect, I think, you know, I would consider it at least eligible but like, I'm pretty sure this just feels like an award where they nominate people so that they can have them come to the award ceremony and sing them something. And then they, I don't know, 
it's a popularity contest. I guess all of the Oscars are a popularity contest, but like <laughs> this one more than anything. Like Beyonce is nominated in this category. Okay. Like it's a good song, I guess, but it doesn't have anything to do with the movie. I would actually argue that the Beyonce song, and I'm getting a little off topic here, but I would actually argue that the Beyonce song from King Richard is fully counter to it, all of the themes of that movie. Um, but like, it's also nominated just so they can get Beyonce to come sing at the ceremony. And like this one too, it's nominated so they can get Van Morrison to sing at the ceremony. And like, if if there, and there's even more evidence for that because they specifically made it so that performers don't have to get vaccinated to come to the ceremony. And Van Morrison is at the moment best known for being vocally anti-vax. So like they literally just wanted Van Morrison to come and sing to them. And so that's why they nominated the song. So, okay, great. Is it going to win? I don't think it matters. Like, there's no point. This isn't a music award. Like, what is what is Van Morrison going to do with his Oscar? <laughs> Put it up next to all his gold plaques. Yeah. It's like, he's not a movie guy. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe he likes movies. I don't want to say he's not a movie guy if his definition of movie guy is different from mine. But, like... Does it matter if he gets an if if Van Morrison gets an Oscar or if Beyonce gets an Oscar? They have they're extremely well known musicians who have lots of musical awards. Do they really need an award that's music in name only? I hope not, because it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> I I'm so happy that this category lines up for your episode because I I needed to get uh, my Jeff rant for this year. Uh, the reason why I'm so happy for if people haven't listened to this show last year, uh, because of you, I am now fully on board of the best original song. It should not be best end credit song, which is basically what this category is. And you have opened my eyes. So, and, and thank you for giving me that A plus rant. If, if I had like a popular YouTube show, I would just clip that section and put that up. I do want to say kind of as a follow up to last year, um, because I've, I've been, not in a bad way, I've been very self-conscious about that rant for like a full year. I, like I said, not in a bad way. It's just more like, if I were ever to come on another show, I don't want to give the exact same rant again. So I decided that no matter what is nominated this year, I'm going to give it a chance. Like, I'm going to consider it. Obviously, for me, the most important thing is that the song has literally anything to do with the movie. So if it's in the end credit song, if it's an end credit song, like, I don't like that. But I'm going to at least take a look at it and see if, like, it makes sense within that movie. And that's why I, you know, doubly hate the big end credits song this year, the Beyonce one, because it is a very good song, but it's all about like pulling yourself up from by your bootstraps and like how we made it because we did so good, whoever we is in this scenario. But it sounds like it's written about the Williams sisters. And that movie, King Richard, is emphatically not about how the Williams sisters did it themselves. It's specifically about how they owe every single thing in their entire life to their dad, which like, if that's the message we're supposed to get from that, okay. But if that is the message, then Beyonce is not helping that because she's not, she, I don't think she saw the movie because she didn't write a movie. <laughs> she, she didn't write a song about the movie. I, I also really appreciate your King Richard rant because I feel the exact same way. I hated that movie and that made me so angry. Uh, but yeah, looking at this category, we'll try to get a little bit back on topic here. Um, at least two of them are end credit songs. The, the King Richard one 
and The Four Good Days are both end credits. I can't remember, when does the Encanto song come? Is that an end credit song, or does that show up during the movie? No, that is actually during, like, it's it's very much, like, the emotional core of the movie. Um, right, It comes okay. up, it's when, without spoiling too much, it's when Grandma is talking about her history. Like, her Right, her right, right. Right. Okay. So yeah, we've got two end credit song and then the Encanto song comes up during the film. And then the last two nominees, No Time to Die and Belfast, both of those are basically intro songs. And I would argue that an intro song has far more to do with a movie than an end credit song because an intro song basically sets up the the mood, the themes, how you're supposed to be feeling for this movie, where an end credit song is basically usually just recapping it. Like, it's like, hey, we're just going to sing about some adjacent themes or literally recap the plot. And both of these are just sort of the Four Good Days and the King Richard are just thematically somewhat linked to it. Whereas Mm -hmm. both Belfast and No Time to Die at least set up the movie of what you're feeling. And I think specifically with Belfast, why I think it works is almost all of the music in Belfast is done by Van Morrison, but they're his songs from the appropriate time period. So we've got this brand new song. The movie starts out. In present-day Belfast, we get this beautiful aerial view showing all the highlights of Belfast, including the Titanic Museum and the different neighborhoods and all that fun stuff. And we get this brand-new Van Morrison song. And then the movie switches to black and white and back in the past in the early 1960s, and we get all of these classic Van Morrison songs. So it's basically transporting us from modern day to the past using one artist. And I think that's a very ingenious way to set things up and does well. The song itself is, you know, it's fine. Van Morrison, if you... You either really like him or you're sort of indifferent about him. Mm-hmm. He's got a unique voice uh, and all of his songs kind of sound the same. I dig him. He's fine. I really hate his anti-vaxxer asshole stance that he's basically turned into, but that's sort of besides the point. Um, and same goes with No Time to Die. James Bond is very famous with, you know, picking a song that will sort of set up the movie, the tone and what we're expecting, whether it's more bombast or more subdued, all these different things. And this time with No Time to Die, the title track of it, it's a more subdued song for this category because it's a bit more of a somber movie and it's recapping the entire series, basically. So in that sense, do you agree that uh, an introduction song is more worthy of this award than an end credit song? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, some of my favorite, um, some of my favorite songs that uh, I, I actually used to do um, every year. I do a, uh, I try to, I, I won't be able to this year. I don't have the time, but I try to do a series of articles uh, originally for the school newspaper, and now I've just been doing it on my own uh, personal website. Uh, I've called them the Golden Bin Awards because my personal website is absolute trash. Uh, <laughs> so, like, um, what I do is I I talk about, uh, I'll usually review in each of the categories that I decide to go up to, which are pretty much, like, I think it's, like, 15 categories I consider to be above the line, whatever that means. But anyway, I'll talk about, like, 15 categories, and I'll talk about my favorite in that category and do a review of why it's my favorite in that category. But then I'll also talk about something else that was not nominated that I think was, like, a very notable snub. And um, in... I can't remember if this was last year or if it was... Oh, it was in my first in my first set of articles. I did the movie... Uh, my notable snub was Spies in Disguise, which has a really, really good intro song because it's Spies in Disguise is another Will Smith movie, actually. Uh, but it's a it's an animated spy movie about um, a, a spy that turns into a pigeon and then has to like work with Tom Holland to figure out the bad. It's 
it's a like fun kids movie. But anyway, um, it's the whole movie is like a loving homage to these old spy movies. And, uh, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But that first song is just a perfect tone setter for that because it itself is an homage to like great James Bond themes. And it's, and it's, uh, like visually it's all, um, themed around old James Bond intro songs and like, or intro like title sequences. And, um, the song itself is written by Bruno Mars and it basically all calls back to that kind of stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't, I I just wanted to talk about spies in disguise, but, uh, (laughs) Yeah, I think that um I think that not every movie needs to have an original song that like happens during the song during the movie. Like a lot of times people will just like when people are adapting a musical, it's very common to just throw in an extra song which sometimes the musical just doesn't need. Um so I can understand when best original song doesn't have exclusively things that were actually involved in the movie. I think it obviously those should be the priority, but if it doesn't happen, that's fine. Um, I really think that the value of a good intro song, a good intro song is even if I'm not like the only person who would gush about good intro songs and good title sequences, I do think that the value of a good title sequence and a good intro song is really undervalued and i think yeah. that it's something that um like a, a really effective one i'm gonna now i'm gonna move on to one thing really quick uh we do a over on the oscars death race discord we do a yearly award show called the academy of death racers awards and the main body of those awards involves us all um all, the whole community voting on the various oscar nominees um I think for best song this year, my favorite one is No Time to Die. I will probably vote for Down to Joy. And here's why. Because No Time to Die, while it is a more somber movie and it sets the tone, and that song sets the tone for that, I don't know if you noticed this in Hans Zimmer's score. Hans Zimmer really likes Skyfall. He likes Skyfall Mm -hmm. a lot. And like in his score, he's constantly like using notes from Skyfall. Like he constantly has little themes from Skyfall and it would, it wouldn't be so weird if he had themes from all the Daniel Craig movies in there, but like Skyfall comes up a lot. So I think that, uh, what no time to die, um, what kind of hurts no time to die for me in, in the con or not concept in the context of its own movie is that it comes up at the beginning, but it's very rarely like used within the score, which I think is kind of important for a bond, a bond movie. And like, as I'm listening to, as I'm listening to that movie, not as I'm watching it, as I'm listening to that movie, all I'm doing is remembering how good Skyfall was instead of, I I think Hans Zimmer, Hans Zimmer's score really hurts. No time to die. In my opinion. Uh, meanwhile, as you said with Belfast, Down to Joy really sets the, like, it's, it really sets the tone. And it's also thematically very in line with Belfast, um, as a musical experience. Like, setting aside the entire rest of the movie, if you just listened to Belfast, like, if you cut out, if you cut out all the dialogue and you just listened to the score and the soundtrack, down to joy would be a phenomenal opening song for that and would like really um 
and like really emphasizes the rest of the movie. Like it brings up the rest of the movie just by being as good of an intro as it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All this to say, basically, uh, Billie Eilish is winning this award and down to joy is just happy to be there. Um, I would mostly agree. I think Lin-Manuel Miranda has a real shot. If I, he would probably be the second for me. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I really think that a lot of this comes down to name recognition and who they and who Oscar voters decide they like most. I don't know. I I, I really don't know too much about this category. <laughs> uh, all right. And then the last one is best sound. I'm very shocked that this movie got nominated here. I, I, I frankly have no real reason why. There's a couple, you know, intense not action scenes, but there's, you know, uh, fire bombings and things like that. But this isn't your typical best sound nominated film. And you look at the other nominees of this category where you've got Dune, No Time to Die, The Power of the Dog, and West Side Story. You've got two action films. You've got one musical, uh, which has live recording. And then The Power of the Dog is also a little baffling. Uh, but at least there's some interesting Western stuff going on. I have no idea why this movie's nominated here, and frankly, it's just happy to be there. Yeah, I think every I think this is I think Best Sound has four incredibly strong nominees and also Belfast. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what Belfast is doing here. Um Yeah, that's it. Like this is this is the category where you look at best visual effects, where there's always a couple movies where you're just like, for us death racers, being like, oh, I have to watch this movie to just to watch some stupid robots fighting each other. And best sound is usually one of those categories where there's going to be at least like one ridiculous movie where we're like, oh, I, I really don't want to have to watch this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this year there isn't. There isn't one of those ridiculous movies of like really bang bang movie other than like no time to die but that's you know sort of on a different level james bond movies have always historically done well at the oscars as far as getting nominations Mm -hmm. so yeah i have no idea yeah i that that's that's all i would have to say too so overall i would say this movie is probably going to likely win one to two awards, but I can also see it go, uh, coming away with zero at the end of the night. Where, where do you sort of stand of, of how it's going to do? It feels like it might get one, but I don't have it top. Like I don't have it personally at my top or personally at my, at the top of my predictions in any category. So that sounds right. Like I can definitely see it coming away with a very small number of awards, but it also feels like one that could be there and like Kenneth Branagh could go there and come home completely empty handed for Mm -hmm. everyone in the movie. All right, now we're moving on to West Side Story. So obviously, first we're going to talk about Best Picture. We we sort of were alluding to this. It sort of seems like, a, a, you know, the top two is Power of the Dog and Belfast. I would say West Side Story is probably a, a very close three, but also pretty distant from maybe getting the win. It would follow in the footsteps of the original West Side Story that also won Best Picture back in the 1960s. You know, I, I, I said I know we said we're not really reviewing this movies, but I, a lot of people love this movie. I watched this, and all I thought during the whole time was, 
I really want to watch the original West Side Story again because it is so much better. Uh, I haven't seen the original in a long time. Uh, I definitely saw it, but I was probably like six. So uh, I need to rewatch it for sure. Um, in terms of best, in, in terms of best picture, I think you put Belfast ahead of it. I might put this a little bit ahead of Belfast because it's a Steven Spielberg movie, but like, I'm, I'm really not sure. I honestly, if power of the dog doesn't get this, I don't really know what will, uh, for, mm. for best picture. Not like, I think West side story, Belfast, Dune are all sort of hovering around there. But I couldn't tell you with any certainty which one I think is number two. If that if Power of the Dog doesn't get Best Picture, yeah, that that makes sense. I I hear that, and I think a lot of it maybe probably gets clouded a little bit by personal uh, judgment. I'm a big fan of Belfast, so I I put it at my number two. But I can easily see how someone would love West Side Story or love Dune and be like, I think this maybe has a second best shot, and I think. You know, based on the nominations, based on critical reception, how it's doing at other award shows, you could easily make an argument for a lot of them. This is this is probably one of the most wide open Oscars I've seen in years since I've been intently following the race. There's a lot of categories where I'm just like, I don't know, pick a name out of a hat and that's probably what's going to win. Like mm. I look at best actor. I don't know. Flip ro- roll a dice five times and that'll tell you who's going to win. Yeah, honestly, looking at Best Picture, I think there's two that realistically don't have a shot. And that's and like it's none of the ones we're talking about right now. Yeah, would you say the only two that don't have a shot would be maybe Nightmare Alley and King Richard? I was going to say Nightmare Alley and Don't Look Up. Okay, yeah. And, and that's funny. I think maybe Don't Look Up could possibly also do well because it's also a crowd pleaser. I, I think it's maybe not going to be number one for everyone. I think it's sort of the, you know, let me rephrase this. I think it's going to be like the number one or the number 10 for voters sort of thing where like I can see it really sort of coming up and maybe doing better than we want. Uh, Obviously we don't see how the ballots actually turn out, but I think probably some people would be surprised that it it might do better than expected, especially with older voters. Yeah. um, I mean, I don't have any notes for don't look up because that's on your show next time. But yes. <laughs> I, think, I think Don't Look Up is one that would be likely to come away with an Oscar. I just don't think it's Best Picture. Yes, I agree. <laughs> All right. So let's go over to uh, Best Director for Steven Spielberg. I think this is one of the ones we probably differ the most. Um, you you said it at the top when you're talking about his name recognition but also people aren't really talking about his actual direction, just the fact that he directed it. And I watch this movie and I'm a big fan of the original. I've seen the original a few times. I look at it as he's trying so hard to pay loving tribute to everything that's great about that movie and also trying to, you know, put his own spin on it, but not enough that it's really unique. So it sort of just seems like a milk toast shot by shot remake that isn't really a shot by shot remake. So for me, I'm not really a fan of it. Like I don't think his direction is all that unique. I think he, he, the best parts of it are inspired by the original and then the rest of it just kind of is, it's fine. So I think also, I I think this is going to line up with what I said on our episode about West side story, which, uh, Hopefully people listen to all of our episodes the day they come out. So they won't even remember by the time they hear, they won't even remember me saying this by the time they hear my episode on West side story. (laughs) But 
I would say that of the directors here, West Side Story feels the least like that director's movie. Uh, I don't know how to say that exactly. Like Jane Campion, Jane, the power of the dog, like Jane Campion is all over that movie. The direction in that movie is like specifically half of why that movie is good. Um, Kenneth Branagh, Belfast, like Belfast has so much of Kenneth Branagh's personality in it. Like it's not sure it's not Hamlet, but it's definitely a Kenneth Branagh movie. Like no one else could have yes. made that movie. Ryusuke yes. Hamaguchi. Uh, I don't know too many of his movies, but the one other one I saw is like very close to drive my car, very close to drive my car in tone and direction style. So again, totally feels like him. Paul Thomas Anderson, licorice pizza is not the most Paul Thomas Anderson movie that exists, but like it's up there. It's definitely got his stamp all over it. Um, with West Side Story, it doesn't feel like a Steven Spielberg movie the same way those other directors' movies feel like their movies. Um, like, if you told me that this was made by the same guy who did, I'm going to pick an extreme example, E.T., I'd be like, okay. Like, I wouldn't not believe you, but it wouldn't be my first guess, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and there's there's far too many lens flares. I thought J.J. Abrams directed this movie. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think, like, I definitely, like, I stick by what I said earlier, that I think he's, I think he's got a good shot based on name recognition alone, but I really do think that, but, like, personally, I would put him, like, in, in my own personal rankings, I would put him near the bottom and possibly beyond like possibly possibly at the bottom i just really didn't like licorice pizza so like i don't know how to how to reconcile that personally i wouldn't put him that high up because even though it was very good like i don't know what he's doing here yeah i i i almost look at this nomination like a meryl streep nomination oh meryl streep has a new movie i guess she's getting an oscar nomination this year Mm -hmm. oh steven spielberg has a new movie he's getting an oscar nomination this year and that's about it yeah. He's there on name, on, on, on prestige. He adds an air of clout of authenticity and, 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 and believability to the whole thing. But at the end of the day, ugh, like, I, I, I agree with you. I don't see how this is a Steven Spielberg movie. Like, it just, it just doesn't feel like it to me. All right, let's move on to Best Supporting Actress. We've got Ariana DeBose. We sort of danced around a little bit with Judy Dench. Uh, this is this at first seemed like a bit of a confusing category, but I think the longer this race has gone on, and the fact that she keeps winning, Ariana DeBose is the absolute front runner in probably uh, the safest lock of any of the acting nominees of the four categories to win. Yeah, I would agree. I would. Uh, she she's not my number one pick, but um, I would actually be quite surprised if she lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I agree. Like there there's just no one that really comes close to it. She also is not my first pick of this batch. But you know, I look at best actor. There's probably three different guys that can win it. Best actress, literally, that is anyone's game except for Penelope Cruz. Supporting actor, it's basically a two horse race, and then supporting actress, it is all the Ariana DeBose show. And and I think it's going to be it's she's a terrific actress, and I think she does a great job. I just don't think the part is 
meaty enough. They 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 cut. I feel like they cut some stuff from the original that would have translated better to this one, and it's not there. And so I'm missing that stuff, especially since they have Rita Marino in this movie as mm-hmm. well. Uh, but yeah, she she's definitely going to be the winner. And like, if you wanna, if you're a betting person, this is the category you put money on because it is going to be the safe pick. Yeah. Uh, also, I wrote down. Um, I I hear that when West Side Story is performed, like on Broadway, or and just traditionally, every time there's a staging of West Side Story, if you get the role of Anita and you don't like massively screw up, you win an award. Like Anita is just <laughs> the awards role. Yeah, and um, yeah, I, I expect to see that trend continue. Yes, and I almost feel like, you know, besides the uh, very egregious um, personal things going on in Ansel Elgort's life, uh, the the Tony character might be the blandest character in filmmaking, whether it's – I've seen it performed on stage once, and I've seen both movie adaptations now, and every single time the Tony is terrible. And I – like, I, I have – I don't know why. Like it's just like a charisma black hole for this part, and all the best parts in the West Side Story story are the supporting characters. It's uh, first off, it's interesting to hear you use that word charisma black hole. Uh, we used it a lot on a very recent episode of Kicking It with Kendrick, <laughs> I think. Um, but uh, yeah, it's weird because if you watch, you know, a staging of Romeo and Juliet. Romeo can be a boring character, but he's not supposed to be like, he's quite a good, <laughs> he's a good character. He's not, he's not the draw of that entire show. Like other characters are more interesting than Romeo, but you get a yeah. good Romeo. You can like really, really get a good Romeo. I think of he's supposed Leonardo to be DiCaprio. Conflicted. Yeah. Yes. And, and he who should not be named anymore isn't. He is not conflicted about anything, and it's just blah. But mm-hmm. that's not the part of the category. You know, we should stop talking about it anyway. Sure. So let's move on to best cinematography. And I already referenced it, the goddamn lens flares in this movie. Uh, frankly, it is just happy to be there, in my opinion. I look... You, this is this is such a fantastic category this year, because I look at the nominees, and all the movies except for West Side Story, I guess other people are, but all these movies are known for their cinematography. Mm-hmm. Doom, that's all people want to talk about. Power of the Dog, those landscapes, gorgeous. The Tragedy of Macbeth, I love the way they staged it all. Nightmare Alley, Del Toro's moodiness, he has such a signature look, and once again, I think he nailed it again. And then West Side Story seemed like a very pretty paint-by-colors portrait. Yeah. That's it. Um, If it was up to me... The tragedy of Macbeth, like, wouldn't miss any of the awards it's up for, I think. Like, especially cinematography. The tragedy mm, of Macbeth yes. is one of the best looking movies I've seen easily last year. It's probably the best looking movie I saw last year. And it's also, and I would say it's probably one of the best mo- looking movies I've seen in the last two, three, maybe even five years. So, like, I don't know how that could possibly miss in cinematography. At the same time, I don't think it's a front runner because you've got Power of the Dog and Dune, which are both also very, very strong. Yeah. I I knew we were friends for a reason, Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Moving on to best production design. And 
this this is also one that I don't think it's it's very high up. I I'm putting it as as a long shot. You know, it's got some you know stiff competition. Dune seems like it's going to walk away with basically all the technical awards, and then after that, I don't know. Power of the Dog, Tragedy of Macbeth set is absolutely stunning. Once again, Nightmare Out. Like this is this is the exact same category. The nominees between cinematography and production design. And and I love the other four nominees. I think they do such a better job at their production and design. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I agree about the power of the dog being on that list. I don't know. Like, it wasn't bad, but I don't personally... Like, having watched it twice, I actually don't know what about that production design is, you know, one of the five best of the year. Mm. Not, not that it isn't. I just actually don't know what I'm looking for. But um, I actually have this one as a dark horse in production design Interesting. because okay. uh, so our episode hasn't released yet, but um, when in, in our episode, we were talking a bit about the production design and it really doesn't work for me or Pierre, either of us. However, I think that it, they set out to like do a very specific thing to hit a very specific aesthetic and they a hundred percent nailed it. Again, it doesn't, doesn't work for me, but like, just from that opening shot, like that opening shot, and I guess that's a cinematography thing, but that opening shot and the first area that they're in where they're like, uh, where Corey Stoll comes in and breaks up the fight, like right from that area, from that spot, we're getting, um, they have like, they've like nailed this 1950s poor district of New York look. All of the outside locations are, um, you know, they look exactly the way they're supposed to. The the high school is the same way. Like, I don't know exactly how to say it. It's just that um, the production design wasn't anything flashy, but it was going for something very specific. And I don't think they could have done that very specific thing they wanted to do any better than they did. Mm. I agree. Yeah, it's a very competent production design. It suits what it's going for. This sort of combination of a Broadway production of what you would expect to see sets look like on stage with using real life locations as well. So some of it looks very heightened staginess, not dissimilar to, to what they were going for, for tragedy of Macbeth, but mixed in with actual real world city streets. It's a little bit of an odd one out on this production design uh, list because I think it's the least flashy like weirdly enough west side story i actually think is the least flashy in terms of production design except maybe the power of the dog because like i said i have no idea what i'm looking for there but like (laughs) nightmare alley dune the tragedy of Macbeth, you notice that production design like in every single frame of the movie with west side story i don't think you do as much but it is like um but as you said it's very competent like it's not yeah there's not like a lot going on or like big grand stages or anything, but it is, um, you know, it it sets out to achieve Broadway heightened realism in real locations, and it gets it perfect. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move over to best costume design. This is definitely an interesting category. The other nominees are Cruella, Cyrano, Dune, and Nightmare Alley. As I said last time, Dune seems to be the front runner to win all the technical awards, so I think that's the front runner. After that, I think, you know, you could go with West Side Story or you could maybe go with something like Cruella. I can see it going either way. I don't quite know. The West Side Story 
you know, speaking about the costumes for that, it's all very color-coded, very beautiful-looking, manicured clothing where everyone looks. The, just the right amount of dirtiness added to their, their costumes. Uh, but it's, it's a very polished, clean look across the film, and it's and it's and you understand exactly, are you a jet or are you a shark, based on exactly what you're wearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um... I would say, like, for me, for me, like, in in terms of personal preference, Nightmare Alley and Dune are right at the top. And I really do think that those have um, a good shot. I think West Side Story, I don't think it's, like, just happy to be there. I put it as, um, I put it as just happy to be there. So I guess I do think it is just happy to be there. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, again, not flashy. I think that the... The costume design is once again extremely competent. Uh, it it really complements the production design that same way. Like everything about this movie is going for a very specific aesthetic. The costume design really hits that too. Uh, Gold Derby has Cruella winning, and I've heard a lot of people on like film Twitter talking about Cruella. So I guess maybe the fashion award goes to the fashion movie. But like, I don't know. I I don't like that Cruella is even nominated personally. Uh, mm-hmm. well, this is actually one category where I am shocked that coming to America isn't nominated because it is nominated mm. in makeup and hairstyling, which as you know, I listened to your episode on it and it's, uh, it deserves to be there. I, you, you convinced me, but I think it deserves <laughs> to be in costume design way more. And I'm shocked that it's not there. It had way better costumes yeah. than something like say, I don't know, Cruella. <laughs> Yeah, I have my own personal issues with Cruella, the idea of uh, a Disney film co-opting the punk movement to make a political statement or some half-assed statement that they were trying to make. But that's besides the point, really. Uh, Let's wrap up West Side Story with Best Sound. The reason why this movie is nominated for Best Sound is a lot of the songs, musical numbers, were recorded live on set. Specifically, several of the Ansel Elgort songs, the Maria song, stuff like that. Any of the solo stuff, I believe, was recorded live, and any of the large group songs were recorded with playback. But I think the live recordings is what got them this nomination. So I think that's going to impress some Oscar voters, especially those with the musical background. That said, I still think this is a bit of a dark horse because, frankly, um, we could probably guess which one it's going to go for, and that's going to be Dune. I was just about to say, yeah, the the live singing is impressive and everything, but is this movie Dune? And it's not. So <laughs> I, I actually put this as just happy to be there, um, mostly because, you know, if... The the reason you said for why it's uh, here in sound, that makes sense. That is not something I, as a layperson, would have noticed. So to me, there was nothing interesting about the sound of this movie other than that it was, you know, it, it worked. I could hear everything. That's great. But like, it's up against The Power of the Dog, No Time to Die, and Dune, all for three movies for which sound is so integral to, to that movie's presentation that like, I would personally be shocked if West Side Story won because, yes. you know, it's it's nothing compared to those other three. But, mm-hmm. uh, maybe you know, as you said, there's there's a technical reason. And uh, if that impresses technical folks, cool. Yeah. So to recap this, I have one win and one win that you can absolutely lock in only. And that is going to be supporting actress for Ariana DeBose. That's the only thing I think this is walking away with. What about you? I can see it as more than that, but yeah, I think it's I think it's only getting Ariana DeBose, and that's probably going to be it. 
Moving on to Coda. This has three nominations. We've got Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor for Troy Kotzer, and Best Adapted Screenplay. This is interesting because there is a sizable contingent of film people, uh, whether they're critics or just fans, that really absolutely adore this film and think it has a real shot at Best Picture. It's a super crowd-pleasing one. It's your typical sort of um, coming-of-age story, but with a pretty unique twist of that it involves uh, a child of deaf adults, which is what CODA stands mm. for. And it's got some really strong performances across the board. Like, if, if the Oscars had a best ensemble, I would say that CODA has one of the better ensemble casts this year. That said, I personally think this is just happy to be there. I think... If we're going crowd-pleaser movies, there's going to be stuff like Belfast or West Side Story that are probably more likely to be higher up on people's ballots than this movie. And I think there's probably going to be a sizable contingent that also really dislike this movie and are not going to have them on their ballots or super low. What what about you? So I'm just happy to be there for this movie. So uh, I originally had written down that Gold Derby had this at four, but I was actually looking at the wrong list. Now, even with even with looking at that list, I personally wrote it down as a long shot, but I actually just pulled up the right list. Gold Derby has it at number two, and I think I agree with that. I think I would, well, maybe not number really? two specifically. I don't have it as, uh, by your own metric, front runner, but I, do, I would put it as Dark Horse because Coda, um, honestly, I'm very, I was very surprised to see it here, uh, like in the list of nominees, because this movie came out kind of came out last January. I guess it premiered at Sundance, but then it like officially came out in June and like to almost no fanfare. It just kind of came and went. People who saw it really liked it, but like it didn't get a lot of buzz at all. But then out of nowhere, this one gets nominated and the campaign for this one ramped right up. Um, and it already, it's like, uh, it, there seems to be first off a lot of renewed interest in this movie. And um, they have been campaigning the heck out of this. I think that this may have, with Tragedy of Macbeth missing as many awards as it did, um, I don't know if Apple is the one campaigning this, but if they are, the, the, this is where their money is going. And like, I'm seeing these, I'm, I'm seeing the people from this movie all over the place. I can't remember exactly who it was, but oh yeah, no, or that's where it was. Uh, I think Marley Matlin is presenting at the Indie Spirits. Uh, Troy Kotsur is... He's been doing interviews in places. There was a big um, virtual like nominees luncheon or whatever that happened today. And like the entire cast was there. So um, this movie's campaign is really ramping up. And beyond that, it actually just won best ensemble at the SAG Awards, which I'm sure you were aware of. Uh, but as you were saying, <laughs> yes. you know, if the Oscars had a best ensemble, this would be the front runner. Well, it just won best ensemble at SAG, which doesn't one it, it, that doesn't guarantee you a uh, 
best picture win by any stretch, but it's a really good, uh, it's a really good thing to have going into the Oscars because it's the closest thing that the Screen Actors Guild does have to a best picture award. So like, it's, it's a good thing or it's a good sign. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that this one is, I think this one has a surprisingly good shot to actually get, um, best picture here. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Now let's go to best supporting actor. If I had recorded this episode, I don't know, let's say three weeks ago. And based on my notes, when I started doing this at the beginning of Oscar season, I put Troy Kotzer as a dark horse to win. I am now upgrading that to a co-front runner. It looked like this was Cody Smith McVie's award to lose. And it sort of seems that Troy Kotzer's, the narrative behind him has now been going up and up that I think it might actually, he might be the legit front runner, but at the very least, he is a co-front runner. And, the, and, and that's how I sort of stand at this. Where, are you sort of on the same boat with me? Uh, I would drop co from that. For me, he's just the front runner. Really? Yeah. Um, wow. I know a lot of people have been saying Cody Smith McPhee. Is he campaigning? Like, I haven't... A little bit. I've seen him around a little bit. Okay. But not as much. Because I haven't seen Cody Smith McPhee since I saw this movie. Like, I don't know what he's doing. And I guess he's doing something. I'm, I don't pay attention yeah. as much as I should, probably. But, like, um, Cody Smith McPhee, it says a lot about Cody Smith McPhee that, like, about Cody Smith McPhee's performance in that movie that uh, I haven't seen anything about him. But, like, based on the strength of his performance alone, he would already be the front runner. And then, yes, he is campaigning more than I've noticed because I'm not very perceptive. But, like, I'm seeing so much of Troy Kotzer. He just won at the, at, at SAG again. He's, there's a very good chance. I would put him as the front runner for the spirits tomorrow and the spirits are trying to be a precursor award. So that can't hurt. Um, and yeah, I think that, uh, I think the narrative behind him is there. I think that, uh, his performance is also really good and he's been all over the place. Like he's, uh, you know, he's talking to everybody. He's campaigning everywhere. It feels like the bulk of the, uh, it feels like the biggest part of CODA's campaign is behind Troy Kotzer. And so while I still wouldn't be surprised to see Cody Smith McPhee win, I do think he's the, I do think Troy Kotzer is the front runner here. Fair enough. And then the last uh, nomination has is Best Adapted Screenplay. So this movie is actually a remake of a French film uh, of the same story, basically. Uh, I originally had this as a long shot, but the longer that this campaign is going on and what you were saying earlier about drive my car, I probably put this closer to the just happy to be there category because I would say this might be the fifth out of the five, not, not my personal preference, but of who I think is going to win. I still think Dune is probably the front runner power of the dog as well, because it, it might win it along with best picture. There's a lot of fans of The Lost Daughter, and Drive My Car is, I think, doing better than expected. So I have Coda in fifth place. What about you? So I have this in second place out of four, and the reason I say out of four is because, once again, I have no idea where I would place Drive My Car. It's a little evil goblin that could be anywhere in that list. It could just come (laughs) out of nowhere and win it, or it could be number five. Who even knows? Um but like all jokes aside, I would actually I would put Coda very high, uh, potentially behind Drive My Car. I think Power of the Dog is probably the front runner here. 
Uh, personally, I have Coda as a dark horse. It really depends on where Drive My Car ends up falling, whether I would call it a dark horse or a long shot. But I think that the strength of... I think Coda has... Personally, I just think Coda's campaign is like the strongest of anything that's currently campaigning. So I think that mm. I think that it's uh, very up there. So I would put it. I would put okay. it as Dark Horse. Okay. And then to recap it, I I think this is likely going to win one award. Are you on the same page, or do you think it's going to be one to two awards? I'm going to say one to two. I think it's okay. I think it's like almost guaranteed to win one. Um, I can see it walking away with two. And she's hooked to the silver screen. But the film is a sad thing for. For she's lived it ten times or more. She could spit in the eyes of fools. And they ask her to focus on singers fighting in the dance hall. So the last movie we're going to talk about today is Licorice Pizza, which also has three nominations. We've got Best Picture, Best Director for Paul Thomas Anderson, and Best Original Screenplay. This is uh, this this movie definitely sort of feels like it is uh, in the afterthought of a lot of the categories for best picture i i liked it i didn't love it i love uh, other paul thomas anderson movies and this didn't hit me in the same way and as you've already alluded to earlier it did not work for you i sort of have this in the the long shot category where it's probably going to end up anywhere between uh sixth to eighth place i believe i think there's going to be a contingent of academy voters who are hardcore on the pta train and i think that's probably going to help it a little bit on the ballot but in the long run i don't think it has anywhere near the support that the rest of the movies have so i i'm calling this a long shot so i put it as just happy to be here be there um i think that uh what i, I would actually probably but like i said very early on just happy to be there i didn't realize that just happy to be there wasn't five and up so like maybe this would actually technically be closer to a long shot because I think that numbers-wise, I'd put it about where you said. But yeah, like, I think this is one that was going to get nominated, but I don't think it really has any shot to really win it. I think even with, if we could see the ballots, uh, it's not the first one eliminated, but I feel like it's probably, it still ends up as like number six or seven, ultimately. People who liked it are going to really like it. People who liked it really liked it. So like. Um, you know, that's why it's not the first one eliminated. It does. I'm sure it gets some first place votes, but like, I don't think it gets a lot of, uh, I don't think it gets a lot of not first place votes. Like people either, yes, people either really like this one or they were completely indifferent to it. I, uh, and I think some people actually hate it as well, yeah. uh, which is something we're going to address in the best original screenplay, uh, category. But yeah, there. I, I think there's a lot of people on opposite sides of the fence. Maybe so, sort of similar to Belfast, where it's probably going to have some really, really strong supporters and some really strong objectors to this movie. Personally, uh, the last Paul Thomas Anderson movie I saw in theaters because I actually have not seen Phantom Thread yet. But the last one I saw oh, of his, in, I love it. In theaters was Inherent Vice, and I saw that movie in theaters twice. It was hilarious. I loved it every time. It's probably. 
it's easily my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie. And it's just like one of my favorite detective movies maybe ever. Um, I was very disappointed going into Licorice Pizza because mm. I was expecting, I don't know what I was expecting, but I was hoping for something like that. And uh, it did not deliver that. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So the second nomination is best director for Paul Thomas Anderson. I think much like Steven Spielberg, he's probably going to get some uh, votes based on his uh, name alone. He's sort of like the indie version of Spielberg where, you know, people are are super diehard fans. And I think if you ask the average moviegoer, a lot of people probably have no idea who he is. And so I think that's really going to hurt him, especially since it's not his strongest film. You know, this isn't There Will Be Blood or The Master or Phantom Thread Mm -hmm. or Magnolia, which are all, or Boogie Nights, which are all regarded as, for the most part, modern classics. Yeah. And this this isn't in that same category for him. Yeah, I would agree. I put him as just happy to be there. I'm going to kind of stick to what I said earlier. I think that he's... Him, Brana, and Spielberg are there mostly by their mostly on name alone. Um, not that they aren't good directors; they clearly are, or they wouldn't even be, you know, thought of in this category. But like, yeah, it's not his strongest film, um, and people are. I don't think people are talking about him as director. I don't see. I don't see a lot of talk of. Licorice Pizza was a very well-directed movie. I see a lot of Licorice Mm. Pizza was a Paul Thomas Anderson movie, which is correct. (laughs) But like, um, you know, whether or not people think it's well-directed, that's not what people are talking about. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. I think a few weeks ago when I made my notes, I had him listed as a long shot, but I agree that he is now just happy to be there because Hamaguchi, in my estimation, has gone up the ranks a bit. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, and then the last category, the one that we've sort of been dancing around a little bit, is Best Original Screenplay. This sort of looks like a frontrunner, but I think there are going to be numerous people objecting to this movie based on the reactions to a few different things. One, the fact that this is a story of a uh, teenage boy who is in love with a girl who is in her mid, possibly late 20s, and some people are really objecting to this. There seems to be a sizable portion of people online who are referring to this as a pedophile movie, which is something that is very difficult to talk about and have a sane, rational conversation about. Do you mind? So I'm going to comment on that. Uh, I do not think this is a pedophile movie, but I don't think, but I think that the people who are talking about it like that have a point like this movie does not uh, does not fully endorse the relationship at its at its center, but it also like never explicitly condemns it. And I know that you and Rachel, mm-hmm. spe- like you and Rachel as well, and lots of people have talked about how you don't have to explicitly condemn something to like you know you don't not to make art about it. Yeah, you don't have to condemn it to make art about it. But I think that Hollywood has a problem with very with some specific vices like one of them is there's just clearly a weird amount of cocaine usage in hollywood but beyond that like <laughs> hollywood actually does have a problem with um sexual abuse and potentially pedophilia though that one's always a harder one to prove and i think that a movie like this 
that um, not only doesn't condemn this kind of thing, but like portrays it in as close to a positive light as it does, even again, while not necessarily endorsing this kind of a relationship is just a kind of movie that we don't need. It's like, this is not the time for that. There's a real problem in Hollywood. And like, you're making a movie about, you know, basic about a time in about a time in that environment. I mean, California that like, you're clearly nostalgic about, and it's fine to be nostalgic about that. But why does that nostalgia have to center around this very inappropriate relationship? Like, this is not the time for that movie is what I would say. And like, Mm -hmm. yeah. And I don't know, people can feel free to disagree with me on that. But to me, it's like, this is a movie that while it's not on board with uh, sexual, um, basically sexual exploitation, it's also like, it also does kind of embolden the people who are on board with that kind of stuff are going to see this and it's going to embolden them if it's going to do anything. Mm, Interesting. And then I think the other aspect is the racial implications of the, um, the character played by John Michael Higgins, who is married to two different Japanese women and puts on a very offensive Japanese voice in order to talk to them. Uh, you know, this slow, over-the-top, ridiculous accent that we as society now know is completely unacceptable, but is also, you know, I think Anderson has sort of fumbled trying to explain his intention behind that. From what I gather of what he was trying to do is... He is not condoning racism, but back in the 1970s, that's just sort of what it was. And it was so commonplace that like, yeah, in the in the movie, you've got the, the, the two characters who kind of raise their eyebrows every time he does this. But like, no one's like, hey, you shouldn't talk like that. I think Anderson is doing his best to make a 1970s set movie as legitimately 1970s as possible. And because of that... In today's viewing, this looks really bad on him. So the first time I heard you guys talk about this movie, uh, it wasn't out yet, but it was during the, it was when you guys did your episode on Red Rocket. And it's, it's weird because I think that, I think that Sean Baker tackles basically every single good theme in, um, or every single main theme of Licorice Pizza in Red Rocket and does it a million times better. And like, I don't know exactly what it is. It's, um, I think that part of it is that when Sean, ba- well, first off, Sean Baker isn't making a movie about the seventies. His movie may or may not be 100% current, but it's supposed to be basically modern day. And it, it definitely benefits from that because when Paul Thomas Anderson is making a movie about the seventies, uh, especially with, how much of this movie, how many things in this movie are positively portrayed. And that's not, that's not to say any things that, you know, are maybe morally objectionable being uh, positively portrayed. It's more like this movie, you know, it uses, it uses like, uh, there's a big shot of a really bad traffic jam with um, David Bowie playing in the background. And like, it's, 
it's reminiscing about this time, even though it's reminiscing about like, in this case, it's reminiscing about a traffic jam. Like it's not, this clearly was not necessarily the best five minutes of the seventies, but it's clearly like calling back to positively an earlier time. And I think that that's the biggest problem with this movie is it's got so many, it's, it's looking at the seventies through such rose tinted glasses that when Paul Thomas Anderson tries to address these, topics which may be inappropriate or are or potentially offensive etc it's easy to get swept in the swept up in the fact that the rest of this movie is um clearly like someone being so nostalgic for the 70s that it's like oh are you also nostalgic for these things because these things aren't super cool actually and with mm-hmm. with sean baker uh with red rocket you know um it just I think that not setting it in the past makes like completely eliminates that nostalgic aspect so that when he portrays these things, even though his movie does not explicitly condemn things like uh, statutory relationships is what I'm going to say. Like, even though, (laughs) even though his movie doesn't explicitly condemn those, like Sean Baker never comes up in front of the camera and is like, Hey guys, just so you know what's going on here. It's not good. Thank, like <laughs> it still feels like it still feels like it like it's not it's also it also never feels like it's endorsing anything in that movie because the way that the characters are portrayed one they feel more authentic but also no one in that movie feels like a good person and in licorice pizza yeah. you also have characters that aren't they're not without flaws but like it does kind of feel like the movie wants us to root for Gary Valentine and it wants us to root for Alana. I think her name is Kane in the movie. Like it wants us to root for these characters. And so when we are shown things that in my opinion should be huge character flaws, uh, we sort of have to brush them aside if we're going to still root for these characters. And that's the part that I don't like about this movie. That's fair. That's fair. And all that to say, I think to wrap that all that up is it looked like this was the front runner. And I think that's going to hold some people back. And along with the fact that I think that Belfast won't win Best Picture, it will get the consolation prize of Best Original Screenplay. I am putting this as a dark horse. Yes, it still could win, but I really don't think it will. Yeah, that's that's fair. I still think this is the front runner because uh, the best original screenplay is not a ranked ballot. And I think, mm-hmm. for one thing, the people who like this movie really like this movie. And beyond that, I think that the I think that the screenplay of this movie is the most obviously good element of this movie. If that makes sense, like the directing is probably good, but like I don't have a strong opinion on it. The screen coming out of this movie, I'm like, well, like if nothing else, even if I didn't like it, it did, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson put a lot of work into this screenplay. I can tell that. And I have very little, aside from the fact that I disagree with so much of the screenplay on a conceptual level, the dialogue is really good. The jokes are good. They mostly hit like the screenplay is the most, like I said, obviously good element, whether it's, you know, it's if some movies are like, some movies are really about their directing. Like Quentin Tarantino's movies are always very loudly directed. Um, uh, like Kerry Fukunaga has a very specific directing style. With Paul Thomas Anderson and someone like, say, Charlie Kaufman, you notice 
the artistry that you notice is more in the screenplay than in anything else. That That's extremely fair to say. And so I think that in best original screenplay, the people who loved this movie are going to vote for it anyway. Even some of the people who were lukewarm on this movie will still appreciate the screenplay enough that this will still get a lot of first place votes. And in best original screenplay, there's no, there's no ranked ballot. So it doesn't matter what second and third. So like, I, I agree with and appreciate your reasoning for Belfast, but I still think licorice pizza has this one. That's fair. Overall. I think to recap this one, I would put it at zero to one wins with the one win most likely coming in original screenplay. I would, I would agree with that. Okay. Well then I think that puts uh, a nice bow on all this. I think we had just had a fantastic conversation. We both went on some very long extended sidetracked rants, but we managed to pull it all back together. Jeff, you're always a fantastic guest. Thank you so much for coming on. Where can people follow you and what are you and Pierre working on? So uh, right now, um, so the most obvious place for people to follow us is going to be on Spotify. We have a show called Classic Movies Live, which we've mentioned here. Uh, right now, we have like we always have a couple of sub shows going. Right now, uh, I recently discovered about a year ago that all of our episodes pre two thousand twenty were deleted. So I'm going through and finding all those episodes and putting those up as CML classics right now. Uh, we also have a current um, series going on where we're reviewing the entire filmography of Anna Kendrick. Uh, that's called Kicking It with Kendrick. And that has had some of my favorite episodes we've ever done of anything on them. Um, we recently did one, which I don't know exactly when this episode is coming out, but I think it will be the next episode that we release. We did an episode uh, basically on a movie that doesn't feature Anna Kendrick at all. Uh, it's on the movie Cake. So we did a Jennifer Aniston episode. And I thought that that would be going into it. I was panicking. Like, how are we going to do this episode? Like this, the very first shot in the movie is a board, like a board with Anna Kendrick's headshot on it. And like, she's clearly dead. She, this is her funeral. That's the very first shot of the movie. So I'm like, how are we going to deal with this? So we made a Jennifer Aniston episode instead. And I think it turned out into, it turned into, one of our best episodes. So uh, if you go and check out our Spotify right now, you will, and, and follow us right now, you'll get notified on Friday when that comes out. Um, I'm very excited to listen to that one. And uh, for, for, well, you can also follow classic movies live on Twitter. We are UBCO CML. That'll probably be in the show notes. I'm sure. And additionally, I have a blog where I like to post most of my movie reviews. It's been a little inactive recently, but uh, I'm sort of going back and forth on whether or not I'm going to do the Golden Bin Awards this year because it's really just a time thing. If I do, those will be on absolutetrash.jkbulmer.me, which I can also give you the links for. Yes, that will be in the show notes for sure. Uh, Once again, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on. It is always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I am very excited for, I mean, I'm excited for the rest of your episodes. I really want to hear you guys' thoughts, you and whoever your guest is, your thoughts on Drive My Car. And uh, I, I hope I will have the opportunity to be a guest again soon. We will have to see. 
<laughs> of course, you're always welcome back, Jeff. Uh, you can follow this show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. If you've seen this film, any of the films that we've talked about, or any of the other Oscar-nominated movies, let us know your thoughts. Send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you'd like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we do post all episodes there too. Thanks for checking us out. Mm-hmm.